our series in the book of James after several months. And so if you have your Bible and you want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to be looking in James chapter 5 and verse number 13 in just a few moments. And so we're going to be talking about prayer today. Now, uh, for those of you who are, now my guess is for those of you who are married, you probably use your spouses as maybe like a, a little bit of a uh, fail-safe for you or you, you check with them on certain things before you do them to make sure it's okay. Uh, for me, whenever, uh, I remember when I first started pastoring a church, I would go to Emily and I, you know, I used to torture her. I would preach in front of her on Saturday nights to practice now, uh, which is absolutely horrible for her. I thought it was great. I was like, man, you're so blessed. And so she would sit there, and I'm not lying. I would preach to her five times. Can y'all believe that? Five times on Saturday. She's still married to me on Saturday nights. And I quit doing it because near the end, I noticed that when I'd like be looking at her, she was sacked out, just absolutely asleep. And I was like, well, obviously, this is going to be a great message. Uh, but I still will talk to Emily, and I used to use her even more and ask her, there's a story I'd like to tell. I just wanted to run this by you real quick. Tell me what you think. And a lot of times she'd look at it and say, hey, you really don't think you ought to tell that story. And, uh, and then as we've been married for longer, I've, I kind of quit going to her because there are some stories I thought, man, this is really good. But if I ask Emily about it, she will tell me I can't do it. And, uh, you know, and y'all might, y'all, y'all, I've told y'all some of these stories, and I'll, there's one that's just one of my all-time favorites. Just to, I'm bringing it up again, and I shouldn't. I didn't talk to her uh, before, but it's about the, y'all remember the story I told about the guy that went to the restaurant and they cooked his dog? Uh, I told that story. Y'all, it was awful. Terrible story. Y'all aren't even smiling at that one. I didn't run it by her. I thought, this is a great illustration. Man, people were about to die after I told that story. And so anyway, uh, y'all are like, y'all, you, I've already lost you here. But uh, there's a reason why I used to go to Emily, because she was like my check. And I would, she would say, don't do that. And then after a while, I started th- saying, I'm not going to do that anymore, because I'm not going to get to say what I want to if I use her like that. Well, I think a lot of us do the same thing, not just with our spouses, but with our, with our God. And there's some of us, whenever we, uh, we look and see what the Bible says and we see how God directs and leads us, and there's times when we feel convicted about something or there's something that we want to do, but we don't bring it before God like I didn't bring some things before my wife. Because like, you know, if I bring this before God, there's a good chance God's going to tell me, you can't do that. And yet it's something that I really want to do. Well, in a sense, that's what we're going to be looking at in our scripture today about the importance of going to God specifically in prayer, uh, bringing up what's on our heart to God and allowing Him to lead us. Now, all of us at some point or another are going to face some rather life-altering events. And whenever those life-altering events come our way, what we discover is that we have a God who desires to direct and lead us in those very difficult times. And so what we're going to see today is that all of us face trouble in life. And whenever we do face trouble, many of us, we step back and we wonder, well, where's God? You know, why, why isn't God helping me out in this situation? Is it that, that God has forgotten about me? Is God even real? Does God even understand what I'm experiencing? And yet, the older I get, the more I begin to realize the importance of this book. Because as I look into this book, I see that God is with me, that I see that God has directions, that He has a plan for me to live by. The question is, am I going to be willing to follow His instruction and His directions? And so we'll look in James chapter 5, 
And before we do that, this will be the last time I do this in the book of James. A little background information again. The guy who wrote this letter is James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, James wrote this letter to Christians, Jewish Christians, who were scattered all throughout the ancient Roman Empire. And, and I know this because if you go back to chapter 1, it says that he wrote this to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Now, the question is, well, why were they scattered? Well, they were scattered originally. They had to leave Israel because of persecution for their faith. And so to save their lives, they had to leave Israel. They went into these different countries. But when, in the, when they went into these neighboring countries, it's not like they were, everybody was excited about them coming into their new land. I mean, the, the people, they, many of them were blackballed from their jobs. They saw them as immigrants. They didn't want them here. And so they, they began to persecute them. And so some of them physically were undergoing persecution. And so this is who James is writing to. And if you look in verse number 13, he starts off by saying, Is any of you in trouble? Now, it's sort of a, I guess in one sense, it's like a joke of a question because the obvious answer to this question is, Yes, we are absolutely in trouble. And so it's here that James shares with them some great advice on what to do when you experience some life-altering events in your, in your life. So, what are they? Well, first we see what, what to do when we're in trouble. James points out to us what we are to do when we find ourselves in a bit of a rough spot. Now, I want you to look at me in verse 13. He wrote, is any among you suffering? Or in other words, are you in trouble? He says, he should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. He starts off by saying, are any of you suffering? That, that word suffering is in reference to people who are undergoing persecution, people who are being treated unfairly. And my guess is there are some of you here today who say, I, I can identify with that. I am a person who is being treated unfairly. I am a person that is going through some difficult circumstances in my life right now. Now the neat thing is we see that James says, for those of you who are suffering, those of you who are in trouble, so i got a word of advice for you. I'm going to tell you what you ought to do in the midst of suffering in your life. Now, when I read this, unfortunately, I was kind of getting excited, kind of get excited thinking, wouldn't it be neat if James says, any of you being treated unfairly and unjustly will then grab a two-by-four and hit that person in the head with it. And I think that would be great advice. But what does James say? He doesn't say that. James says, any of you in trouble? Any of you suffering? He says, you should pray. Now, what is, what's up with that advice? to pray. You know, if any of you are, are in, a, in a tough or a tight spot, any of you being treated unfairly, what is the one thing that you want to experience rather quickly? You want to experience relief. And so James says, if you are looking for relief, the best place you can go is to the God who gives relief. The God who gives rest. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Now, I know everybody said this all through, everybody throughout history said this. Our generation is in trouble. Yeah, we are not the first people to say this. 
Now, I look at what's going on in our world today, and I was like, it, I don't think it's ever been as bad as it is right now. That's probably not true. It just makes me feel good to say it. Every generation experiences trouble. And some of you look around, and you say, oh, we are in trouble. I mean, I look at, our, look at our economy. Man, we're in trouble. I look at what's going on, and I see some of the basic values that we have had as people here. I mean, we're in trouble. Um, I, I, I look and I see some of you, there's, we have a lot of people in our church who are in the military. And a lot of you are wondering, Man, I don't even know what's going to happen. I, I don't know when I'm going to get deployed again. I don't know what my job situation is going to be. And so a lot of us are, we feel like that we are in trouble. And so what does James say to us? James says, any of you in trouble, any of you suffering? He says, then you are to pray. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. It says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, when we are to call out to God in prayer, because God has the ability, he says, if you call out to me in prayer, I can guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. That word guard is a military term. It is the picture of a sentry standing guard over you. Isn't that neat? Now, some of you are thinking, well, great, my guard's probably like some 13-year-old kid, you know, standing guard over me. Well, Philippians 4 doesn't say that. Philippians 4 says that the one who is standing guard over you, who's watching over your heart and your mind, who is protecting you, that guard is God. And what does he do? He says he brings peace. Yo, we need peace. There's some of you today, I know some of you today, you are so discombobulated in your life right now, and the one thing you need is peace. That word peace means harmony, stability. Instead of our circumstances dictating how we respond, we have a God who promises stability for us regardless of our circumstances. Now here's the problem most of us have with allowing our circumstances to scare us. We, we don't have enough knowledge about a particular subject to really feel comfortable. And so the result is many of us live in fear. We live in fear because we don't have enough knowledge about what lies ahead of us. Uh, whenever I was younger, I used, to, I, you know, I used to love haunted houses. I don't know, I can't stand horror movies today, but I used to love to go to haunted houses. The ones way out in the country, you know, the scary ones, you know, where you wonder, am I going to survive? The ones when you go out to, like, Blathwood. Now, when you go, you go out and you get to find these, uh, these haunted houses, you go through them, and I would go through them, and... You'd walk through, and there'd be everything would be dark, and then some guy that have those like uh, those black lights, and some guy would jump out from behind a box and scream, and he's wearing a mask. He'd just freak you out, and you're just you know I'm screaming like a little twelve year old girl running through the house, and I, but after it's over, I'm excited, you know, and I, I tell my friends like y'all got to go through this haunted house, and so I will go with them because I know that they don't know what to expect, and so it's fun. It was fun for me to watch them get scared. And I was like, you big weenie. And so, you know, we'd walk through the haunted house. Now, I, the second time I went through, I didn't get scared. And the reason why I didn't get scared, because I knew what was ahead. I knew that the guy was going to be jumping out from behind the box. And in a similar sense, the same thing can be true, can be true about life. You know, there, there are a lot of scary things that are before us that are going to jump out from behind the box, and they can scare us. But here's, here's the difference. For those of us 
who have a relationship with Jesus, for those of us who know of the promises that God gives us, we don't have to be fearful. We don't have to be scared. Why? Because this book tells me that no matter how scared I might get, Jesus wins. That whenever it comes down to it, God is going to be victorious. Romans 8.31, we sang about it in the first song today. It says, if, if God be for us, who can be against us? But for us to come to that point where we find relief and know this, and it would be wise for us to have an idea of what this book says. Because when you look in this book, you're going to see that God makes a whole lot of promises. And whenever God makes promises in this book, you can know that God is a God who keeps His promises. In Joshua 23, 14, it says, You know with all your heart and soul that not one of the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Since every promise has been fulfilled, not one has failed. Now, James gives some great advice here. He tells us what we're to do when we're in trouble, when we're suffering. What are we to do? You pray. When you're suffering, you pray. He also gives us more advice, and he tells us what we're to do now when we're sick. So when we're in trouble, we're to pray. This is what do I do when I'm sick. Now, I want you to look at me in verse 14. It says, is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they should pray over him after anointing him with olive oil in the name of the Lord. Now the word sick, that's, you know, that's what it means. Uh, it means to be weak. It means to be without power. Now from the previous verses there are some scholars who say well that sickness is referring to a spiritual sickness. I remember the people being written to, they're undergoing persecution because of their faith. They are suffering. And so James, or some scholars have said that what James was talking about is he's talking about people who are, who are scared, who are spiritually exhausted and they're worn out and they're wondering, where's God? Now it could be talking about them being weak in their faith. It also could be talking about them that, you know, like physically, that they are weak, physically, that they are sick. Regardless, the Bible tells us, it says, when you are weak, what do you to do? You pray. You're to pray. As a matter of fact, he tells us that we are to call church leaders and ask them to pray for us when we're weak. Now, who are the church leaders? Now, in the context of village church, church leaders would be, be like the staff. It would be our V group leaders. It would be people in the church who are spiritually mature. You might say, well, why would I want them to pray for me? Because they have a good connection with God. Because they have a strong relationship with God. They know how to pray. Now, you can say, well, you know, I'd rather keep it private. I'd rather not share my, you know, my stuff with other people and have them pray for me. And that's your prerogative. You can do that. But if you do that, you are cutting off a major source of strength in your life. People who have the ability to pray for you and to connect with God for you, and you're saying no to them, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Remember the word... The word sick means without strength. Now, I know, when I'm sick, I'm worn out. When I'm sick, there's not a whole lot that I, can, that I can do for myself. So when I'm sick, you know what I need? I need support. I need somebody to come alongside and to help me when I'm weak. A good example of this is there was a, there was a guide in California, and he was showing the, the people that were in his group, the sequoia trees in California, huge trees. 
And as he was talking about them, he said, sequoia trees have very shallow roots. He said, they're barely under the surface of the ground. And one guy said, how's that possible? He said, it seemed like if the wind would blow, that, you know, that those, trees would, those trees would fall over. And he said, what's interesting about sequoia trees, he said, they, they always grow in groves. And he said, their roots are shallow. He said, but their roots interconnect with each other. He said, so when you see all these sequoia trees, he said, all of their roots are joined together. And so when the wind blows, they have strength and support from one another. Therefore, they're able to stand. When I saw that story, I thought, there is a lesson here for us as Christians. As, As Christians, our support group is to be other believers. It's to be the church. It's to be our V groups. And we gather together in order to gain strength for each other so that whenever the winds of life blow against us, we have support and we're going to be able to stand. That's why James says when you are sick, when you are weak, call out for others for strength. Now he talks about, he goes into oil. He said, whenever you do that, ask the elders that they're going to put to anoint you with oil. Now, now what is that all about? And it's not like it's some magic trick or anything that went on back in the days of Scripture. Oil was actually used, it was used for medicine. And so I think there's a couple of things we can take from this. One, when you're sick, it's it's okay to take medicine. You know, anoint yourself with oil. They they used oil because it had a healing property in it. Uh, When we're sick, you know, get good care. Uh, There's another usage of oil that's mentioned in Scripture as well. If you go into the Old Testament, you'll see, remember whenever Samuel came to David, he's going through all of his brothers, who's going to be the next king of Israel, and they finally say it's going to be David, it's going to be the youngest one, it's going to be the shepherd boy. You remember what he did to David? He anointed his head with oil. What? Why? It wasn't, he wasn't sick. That oil was a symbol that God was with him. It was, a, it was symbolic that the Lord was with him. So what James is saying is when you're sick, well, you anoint with oil, it's, it's got a healing property in it, but it also has a symbolic value in that it shows that God is with you. That God doesn't leave people. Now our text gives us some good advice. It tells us what we're to do when we're in trouble, what to do when we're sick. What are we supposed to do? He said, pray. And then the last thing I want you to see is it also tells us what, we to, what we're to do when we've sinned. You know, whenever I've sinned, whenever I've screwed up, what am I supposed to do? The answer's not going to surprise you a whole lot. It's the same one we've had the whole time. Now, let's look in the last two verses I'll read. It's verses 15 and 16. It says, The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And the intense prayer of the righteous is very powerful. Now, it's important for us to understand, you know, what exactly is sin? You know, what does sin mean? And that word sin, it, it literally means to miss the mark. It is, again, it's a picture of an archer shooting at a target, and he misses the target. And you, if you're shooting at a target, you miss the target by one inch or by one mile. You know, a miss is a miss, right? And so that is what sin is. And I said, well, then what is, what's the target? You know, what am I shooting at? Shooting to be obedient to Jesus. You're you're shooting to live like Jesus. You're shooting to love like Jesus. Now you might say, well then how can I know if I've hit the target or not? Well, you can know how you've hit the target by taking a look and see what your life is producing. 
You know, what is it that comes out of your life? Galatians 5, 22-25 gives us some examples. It tells us the fruit of the Spirit. This is what's to come out of your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It says, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now those, that, those, those verses are actually like a checklist for us to see what it is that we're producing in our lives, to see if we're hitting the target or not. Now, do we all hit the target all the time? When the Bible tells us that we all sin. So no, we don't all hit the target all the time. Romans 3.23, it's very clear. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now obviously that is not good. Now let me share with you how serious sin is. And I really think sin is something that we have just sort of, we've downgraded it a whole lot. We call it mistakes, you know, or I'm just human, or boys will be boys. Guys, that's garbage. Let me tell you something, sin is destructive. And whenever we miss the target, we miss it by an inch, or we miss it by a mile, there is a price to pay. And if we are people who will not turn away from our sin and we revel in our sin doing what we want to and being disobedient to God, it separates us from God forever. If you've never, if you've never come to God for forgiveness and you've never turned away from your sin, let me tell you something, you are doomed to pay the penalty of sin. Now there are some of us who are believers. Maybe over time we've sort of fallen back into our old ways. Let me tell you something, sin is devastating for us as well, for Christians as well. You know what sin does? It destroys our communication line with God. When we, when we revel in sin and when we look in Scripture and we see how God calls for us to live and we say, God, that sounds really good, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do what I want to do. You can, almost, you can guarantee that God is going to allow that sin to come in between you and Him. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I have sin in my heart, God will not hear me. So in a very real way, sin is a sickness. Sin is a disease. That's why James says, when you have sin, he says you are to confess it. You're to confess your sin and turn away from that sin. Now, why would I want to do that? Because that's the only way we can be healed. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, God can remove the penalty of sin when we turn away from that sin. Yeah, that's why prayer is so important, so that we can talk to God, confess to Him, so that God can heal us. In verse number 16, that's what it says. It says that, that you'll be healed. The word healed is real simple. It means to be cured means to be set free from sickness. If you're sick, who doesn't want to be set free from it? I don't know how many of y'all have had the flu or that sinus junk, but in that, it just lasts forever. And one thing that you want is like, you're about at a point where you're like, I will do anything to get rid of this garbage. Nobody likes to stay sick. We want to have freedom from it. And yet when it comes to sin, there are many people who are choosing to be sick rather than to be free. Harry Houdini was a, obviously a famous illusionist in the early 20th century. And he used to do some stunts or tricks that were interesting. Uh, one of them is he would, he, he liked straitjackets. 
And so they'd put straight jackets on him all the time, and they'd hang him upside down and drop him into like a vat of water, like a glass thing of water, so you could see him when he's under the water. And the goal, of course, is not to die. And so he's sitting there, and he's working on the straight jacket, and he'd come out of the straight jacket, he'd untie himself, and then he would get out, obviously, before he drowned. Pretty impressive trick. Another thing that he liked to do to try to get attention for himself when he it was, he'd go into small towns, and he would get the you know the policeman or the sheriff to uh, once again uh, either put him in a straitjacket or handcuffs, and they would put him in the they put him in the slammer, shut the door, and walk out. Within minutes, he would walk out with the handcuffs. Nobody knew how he did it. But there was one time when they put him in a prison and he's, or in a jail and he had his handcuffs on and he was able to, he was able to pick the lock. He, that was his trick. He would sneak out this little pick. He picked the lock and then he began to work on the, the cell door trying to unlock it. This one particular instance, it normally took minutes. He was in there for hours. He could not pick the lock and he was getting frustrated. Finally, he just gave up and he leaned up against the door. When he leaned up against the door, it came swinging open. The sheriff had never locked the door. He's trying to pick the lock of a door that was not locked. Now, guys, there are a lot of us. And we are trying to do so much on our own. We're trying to live life on our own. We are trying to pick the lock of this life on our own to find freedom. And it ain't working out too well for a whole lot of us. When we have a Jesus who says, I've already unlocked the door. Quit trying to do everything yourself and come to me and trust me. And the door to freedom will swing open. Now you might say, well, why pray? Because guys, let me tell you something. Prayer carries with it immense power. Verse number 16, if you look there again, it tells us that when we pray, it says the intense prayer of the righteous man is very powerful. In the last verse of our text, James mentions the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament. And there was a huge drought going on. People were starving to death. And Elijah prayed for rain. God sent rain and the people lived. Now, was it because, because Elijah was an incredible prayer? No. It's because to whom he was praying is what made the difference. He was praying to a God of power. Now, let me ask you a question. When you are in trouble, when you are sick, when you are at your wit's end, who are you looking to for relief? What are you calling out to for freedom in your life? Because guys, the only one who can give you relief and give you rest and give you freedom is Jesus. See, that's why prayer is so powerful. We, we pray to direct our attention to God and then trust Him. We're told in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. In closing, I really believe this. I believe there's a lot of us, we're in trouble. Now, the trouble can be minor or it can be major. Some of us are in trouble. Some of us are dealing with sickness. And some of us are dealing with sin. I'll tell you something, if you want to find freedom, pray. Call out to God. 
If your life is wrapped up in fear right now, call out to God and say, God, I am claiming the promises that you give me in Scripture where you tell me, fear not, for I'm with you. And some of you are dealing with sickness right now, and you need to take time right now to call out to God and say, God, I don't understand what's going on, but Lord, I pray that you'll take my spirit of fear away from me. And God, I'm praying to you for healing, but God, I am going to trust you today. And some of you need to give your life to Jesus today. Because you've allowed sin to rule your life. And guys, it ain't going to work for you. Take time to call out to Him and say, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, be my Savior. Why pray? Because guys, it is the avenue to communication with God, and it is the avenue to freedom that only God provides. Amen.